can turn with me to the book of, ha, no, yes. Actually, we're going we're gonna to go to a lot of places today, and that's because I learned something new yesterday that I didn't have, I didn't ever put them together. I'm going to shut this off so we, we're all good. And I got to get prepared here. We need a carpenter to build a bigger podium. There aren't any good ones. <laughs> so, Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. I'm going to turn my Bible to that. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three days walk. So, we are just going to talk about one, past, one part of this text in here. First of all, though, do you recognize, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, proclaim to it? Is that like almost word for word, Jonah chapter 1? It is. Then the, second, the third verse there, so Jonah arose. Did Jonah do that exact same thing in chapter 1? He did. He arose. And from there, it was all downhill, literally. He went down to Joppa. Remember the word Joppa. He went down into the ship, or down to the seashore, down into the ship, down in the ship, down into Sheol, right? I mean, just down, 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 a progressive downgrade. But it's the exact same thing. It's mirroring, mirroring each other. How many understand that? But it's interesting because here's the fact. All of you sitting here are Christian disciples. Amen. Are all Christians a disciple of Jesus Christ? Yes. Absolutely. Many people believe that that's not true. Many people believe that to be a disciple is a different category of Christians. Reality is, in a sense, whether we can discuss... I, 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 by the way, I absolutely reject that view... Reality is, however you want to define disciple, we are all disciples of Jesus Christ. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, we put ourselves under Jesus Christ. Amen? Absolutely. We are a follower of Christ. Matter of fact, there's a lot of people who use that term instead of, are you saved? Are you a follower of Christ? Now, are there Christians that don't follow Christ because they're in sin. Yeah, there is Christians that don't follow Christ. Now, the question is, uh, proclaimed Christians, are they a Christian or not? What's the answer to that? We don't know. And so, if they act like an unsaved, we treat them like an unsaved. We give them the gospel. We bring them back to Christ. Amen? And so, 
this morning, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. And we're going to go to next, Matthew chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Because the reality is there are believers who act stupidly. <laughs> I'm one of them. How about you? Anybody here that says not me, this is not the church for you. Because all of us that are believers have tendencies to act stupidly. And what I mean by that, we sin. We do wrong things. And it's a constant battle on our heart, and it's a frustration. That's why we need each other. Too many times the churches have become a place where we tell people how great we are, and we try to outdo our greatness with each other. That is insanity. The only person that is great around here is Christ, God Almighty. And therefore, we sin, and because of our sins, we hurt our discipleship vocation. Do we not? We hinder it. We hurt it. And then we get this idea that ah, I'm a failure. I quit. How many have ever felt that way? Or I'm just not going to do this anymore, or I can't do that right, or I can't, or something's wrong with me. And we look back at our past and we see that we did things wrong and we say, man, I was a dork. I'm just going to stop living the Christian life as God wants me to and start having a pity party for myself. Here's the reality Did Jonah sin? Yes or no? Was Jonah a disciple of God? Absolutely. He was a prophet. Did God tell him to do something? Absolutely. Did he say, forget you? We don't know that he said that, but that's what he did. <laughs> right? He said, no way, I'm not doing that. And there's a lot of people who have a lot of reasons why that is and, and get into the psyche of Jonah. And I will tell you, even if Jonah was standing here, you couldn't get into his psyche. Only God can. And so the reality is, all of us, in a sense, are just like Jonah in that God has given us a vocation, a ministry, wherever that may be. And that ministry needs to be used for God's glory, and we stink in sin. We sin. But guess what? He will hold me fast. Guess what? He is a God of mercy and grace. And guess what? There is absolutely nothing you can do that will separate you from Christ and his vocation for your life. Because do you know why? Uh, I'm scared to hit what is tickling my neck because it will be a ladybug and it will stink. <laughs> and I hate them. <laughs> This was just a cord, and I'll be electrocuted. 
Regardless is this. Jonah blew it. And there's not a person in here, not one person in here, who has not blown it. Every one of us have blown it. I don't care if you're a child. I don't care if you're a parent. I don't care if you're a grandparent. I don't care if you're a great-grandparent. I don't care if you're an elder. I don't care if you're a deacon. It doesn't matter. Every single one of us have blown it. Now, Jonah blew it, and he got eaten by a sea creature and lived in his guts for three days. There's not a one person in here that has been disciplined that way. Not one. He must have did something really bad. But the reality is God didn't forget him. God didn't push him aside. God didn't put him on the shelf. God said, Jonah, now that you're back on shore and there's Nineveh, here's what I want you to do. And Jonah doesn't look like he had an argument with God. Maybe he did, but the text doesn't tell us. But from what we hear from Scripture is silence on this. And the possibility is, is it possible? Jonah said, well, God, look what I did. You can't know because he even didn't ask for repentance or forgiveness or confession in his prayer. So we know that wasn't on his head. Well, we find out that Jonah is going to then obey. And Jonah, you know, the guy that absolutely disobeyed God in every aspect of his life for days at least, is going to be used by God to see the greatest repentance the world has ever seen. Is that awesome or what? Well, why did he use him? He does this and he does... Don't you dare be the guy saying that. Look at your own life. You're the one doing this and this and this. And God still wants to use you. He wants to use you despite what you have done. Now, it's one thing to say, yeah, I, I disobey God and I'm going to keep disobeying Him. Well, God's not going to use that. But a believer that you know you disobeyed God, you know you've sinned, you know you've done wrong, it hurts inside. There's more ministry for you. He will hold you fast. He wants to continue to use you. Matter of fact, fact, some of the greatest sins that men have committed are some of the greatest lessons that we learn from. I'm not saying go out and sin so that grace may abound, not at all. But I'm saying sin helps us grow, does it not? Because we are disciplined, we grow well. Here's the reality. Would you agree with me that Jonah was used despite what he did in the past. Yes or no? And I'm here today to tell you, God will use you despite what you've done in the past. Your past sins are not conglomerated to pound you over the head with. They're gone. 
And God wants to use you to minister. He said, well, that happened to Jonah. Well, look who else it happened to. And we're going to do that today. Matthew chapter 16, I want to draw your attention. to. Okay, so the principle that we know here today is even though we have sinned, we repent, we confess, and then we re-minister with God. Amen? Matthew 16, the Pharisees and Sadducees came up testing Jesus. They asked him to show a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you not know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Oh, by the way, do you see what God just did to the Pharisees and Sadducees? (laughs) What did he just call them? It wasn't a woke vocabulary. Amen? He went after the religious bigots and he said, this, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after signs, which you just asked for. And a sign will not be given except who and what? The sign of Jonah. And we've talked about this, but I want to keep reading because There is another Jonah in Scripture, principally wise. And we miss it. And he left them that way. He left them and went away. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Wow, he immediately again went after them. They began to discuss this among themselves, saying, he said that because we did not bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves out of the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you up, full you picked? up. How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven and the Pharisees and the Sadducees? In other words, listen, I will hold you fast, (laughs) but you need to be careful about the wickedness of these people, the religious of the day. Then they understood That he did not say, beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I will tell you this, folks. When churches in this town preach heresy, we need to stand up against that teaching of heresy boldly. Amen? We need to get in their faces and say, my friend, this is a problem. This is not biblical. This is wrong. How dare you preach this? Confess, repent. I was just talked to someone this morning, and this has been a huge issue. I wrote a paper of it on it about eight years ago about the oneness Pentecostals. I mean, I know what a oneness Pentecostal is. Oneness Pentecostal. 
Pentecostal believes that there is God, they hate, by the way, when you start a theology based on a reaction and a hatred, that's a bad problem. How many understand that? So the reality is, here is oneness Pentecostals say that Jesus is God. Now let me ask you, is Jesus God? Absolutely is God. Is God the Father God? Is God the Holy Spirit God? Is the Bible explicitly clear on all three of them? Do we call that the Trinity? One in essence, in being, right? Three persons, right? They say, because the Catholics believe in the Trinity, that's heresy and wickedness, and we hate it, therefore, we're going to start our own. We're going to call it oneness Pentecostalism. That is a lie from the pit of hell. An absolute positive lie. Jesus is God. But what they'll say is, well, Jesus is God now. God the Father was God there, now it's Jesus. It's called craziness. It's called someone hasn't read their Bible well enough. And you know what? We've had people that wanted to be members in our church that believe that, by the way. Theologically speaking, it's called modalism. That God comes in different forms, in essence. The reality is, God the Father spoke as God the Son was being baptized, and God the Holy Spirit was lighting upon His head. Amen? And here's where it ends up. Somehow, God, Jesus, has to pay the penalty for everybody's sin to somebody. And this is why it's heretical. Are you following me? God the Father. When did He have a beginning? When does He have an end? God the Son. When did He have a beginning? Never. Same. When does he have an end? Never. God the Holy Spirit, when did he have a beginning? When did he have an end? The, the point is, the, this God is eternal. But Jesus had to pay a penalty to somebody. Did he have to pay somebody's sin? Does the Bible say he had to pay for the sin? Who did he have to pay? Well, there is no God the Father in oneness Pentecostalism. So who did he have to pay the sin to? And you are going to get angry right now. Because I've had discussions with these guys and they tell me very point blank. He paid the penalty to Satan. You know flesh, German, guy... That infuriates me. That is such a wicked, horrendous principle that you are spreading 
to this town. I'm telling you, God didn't owe anything to Satan. Satan is not sovereign in anything. Matter of fact, because he is, lacks sovereignty, he's slithering around on his belly, acting the part of a fool, because he is. But that's not my fight, that's God's fight. In this text, Peter, the, the disciples, Jesus himself is doing the exact thing. Listen, you don't know what I'm talking It's not about the bread. I can do whatever to get bread. Don't worry about the bread. Worry about the false teachings. Preach against it. Talk about it. Get, it. get them into the text. Show them they're wrong. Show them their fatal issues. Amen. But here's what he did. He said, and he's got a theme going on here. The sign of Jonah, you see it right away in verse 4. Now he's teaching the, young, the, the disciples. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? They said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said, then why do they say that I am? What, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. By the way, we were just talking about oneness Pentecostalism. How do they fix that? Because there can only be one at a time. You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Of the what God? And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, what? How many have Simon Bar-Jonah? Raise up your hand. How many have son of John? Raise your hand. Nobody? You do? Okay. Here's the issue. The issue is because scriptures have translated Jonah, or how many have son of Jonas? J-O- N-A-S. So some translations say J-O-N-A-S. Some, some of them have, like I do in the NASB, um, Jonah, J-O-N-A. And some have son of John. Now here's the reason. Bar Jonah is son of J-O-N-A. And they translate that to say, can it mean John? Yeah, it could mean John. But here's a, here's, a, here's a novel idea. Could it be Jonah? But that's never even discussed because some of our greatest preachers say, no, 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 it it's means John. He's son of John. John was his dad. Okay, I don't know if John was his dad or not, and maybe, and the, it doesn't matter. Because here's the reality. He's already talked about, did he introduce Jonah into the text in Matthew chapter 16? Absolutely. Did he call then, Jonah, you are a son of Jonah? Did he say that according to the text? 
Son of Jonah, bar Jonah. That's what he's saying. Now, I'm not saying an H is at the end. It's J-O-N-A. And here's what happens with dynamic equivalency. People take license to interpret their interpretation, not the poss- all the possibilities of what it could be. How many get this? And it's a problem. To be honest with you, I have never even looked at it this way, ever. Because I always had these gurus that I love, and it's always been John. And, but this is so interesting. He introduced Jonah. Then he goes down and says, son of Jonah. Why did he do that? Well, I'm going to give you a plethora of reasons why he did that. And listen, I'm not going to be dogmatic. This is Jonah. But I think it's very possible. This Jesus looked at Peter and he says, Peter, you're acting just like Jonah. Matter of fact, one author says that very clearly. He says, it's a pun of Christ when he says, you're son of Jonah. You're acting the fool. So, how many have ever heard of this before? Where Jonah and Peter and the similarities between them two. Now, I'm not saying, I don't know for a fact, I I can't be dogmatic, but I'm leaning that way for sure. Because the two dynamic equivalent means phrase by phrase, all right? A word equivalent means each word is translated and whatever then the intention is, you'll have to figure that out in the sentence. So in other words, a dynamic equivalent takes the phrase and explains it for you. A word-for-word takes the words and lets you decide what you think it might be or not be. How many understand that? You've got to study it. Now, they're not, some people are going into conspiracy right away. Dynamic, they're, they're, they have a, a motivation. Everyone in here has a motivation. True? You have an outcome you want to see, and you'll look at things differently. We all have perspectives that are different, do we not? So just for today, if you will, rethink this. At least be honest. Can we do that? Is this possible? It's Jesus is telling Peter he's just like Jonah. And then the question is, how is he just like Jonah? And then the principle comes out, how are we just like like Jonah. How many understand that? Here we go. So, Jesus said, and blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I will give you the kingdom of heaven, and whoever will bind you. By the way, Immediately after he calls him Simon Bar-Jonah, he immediately goes to where? Sheol, Hades. And it will not conquer you. Let me ask you, is there someone in the Bible who thought they were in Sheol or Hades and the, it would, did not conquer him? Yes or no? Who was that? Jonah. Just been there. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind. Oh my goodness, that's bad. There we go. Bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
And he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. This is important. Let's keep following. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. By the way, he's trying to tell them that I will take care of your body. But you need to focus on ministering. Because, well, I'll read it. We'll go. I am going to go. Jesus says, I have a ministry. I am going to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up the third day. Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. I mean, here's Peter rebuking Christ. Peter says, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Uh, yeah, Jesus, the Christ. Who do you think you are? No way. That will never happen to you. In other words, let me ask you, did Peter call Jesus a liar? He did. Did Jesus fight with God Almighty? Yes or no? Absolutely. Did Peter sin and make a mistake? Yep. Let's keep going. Get, he turned and then said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Let me ask you, did, he, did the disciples set their interests on their interests of their tummies emptiness and not on God's interest, yes or no? He just talked about that. Let me ask you, did Jonah set his mind on his interest and not God's interest? Absolutely he did. And then he goes on, then Jesus said to the disciples, if anyone wish to come after me, here's what's going to happen. You need to know the cost. What is the cost? It could be death. But it's irrelevant. Because to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. He said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man gains the whole world and for forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his glory of his Father with his angels. And will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say unto you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until, the son of man, until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, that, say, whoa, where did that come from? What does that mean? That will take about 12 hours to go through. And we're not, that's not our focus today. Okay, and we've already preached on that, but regardless, Jesus was telling his disciples with complete abandon, minister in the vocation I have given you, despite what may or may not happen to you. How many say amen and amen? Peter needs to know that and Jonah needs to know that. 
Don't worry about going to the most wicked place in the world, Nineveh, because you might die. Who cares if you die? You're following Jesus. What, who said that? I do, because I'm standing here in my nice, comfortable home telling you what you should do. Right? Jesus said the same thing. Disciple, you, you are a follower of me. I'm going to go and die. Oh, no, you're not. We're going to be kingdom partners. And I'm going to sit next to your throne, Jesus. And Jesus, all warm and fuzzy, says, yeah, get behind me, Satan. Oof. The warm and fuzzy's kind of left. And the bold truth comes out. He's saying, listen, stop worrying about what's going to affect you physically, emotionally, whatever. Stop it. Let me ask you, can we learn the same thing? Well, you don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm scared. Why are you scared? You have the king of kings that has your back. Well, 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 well you don't know. I, I, I do my stuff kind of privately. What? So you're a monk or a nun. Shall we call you Sister Hugo? I mean, no! We are to be going and preaching the gospel. Amen. And no fear should worry us. Let me ask you, those people that were on a plane that flew into South America to the tribe that never heard Christ, were they afraid? They probably were afraid, but did they do it anyway? They did. It's interesting, they did it because they it was their ministry that they were called to, right? They didn't bring others that were not called. I hope you understand that. But I tell, this passage, clearly, Jesus says, my ministry is to die here. I'm going to die. Your ministry is to go do this. Peter, your ministry is to die. Now, tradition says Peter died in Jerusalem. I have no idea. That is tradition. That is not biblical. You can't find it. Okay, but whatever he died, they say, we, they, tradition says he it was upside down on a cross, all right? That's how he was killed, crucified on a cross upside down. If that's what happened, that was God's desire that that happened. And he ministered all the way to the end of that. Paul, what happened to him? Peter, we just talked about John, what happened to him? It's interesting, it goes on to talk about John, and the disciples say, well, all of you have a death that you're going to die. But John, you don't have that type of martyr's death. And so the, you know, the disciples said, oh, John's not going to die. Oh, John's not going to, that's not fair. No, you love him. Every one of us has a ministry to different people, but we have a ministry, don't be scared of the ministry. God's called you to something He wants you to do. Serve, love, proclaim, care for one another. Amen? So, I've introduced it, and it's half past. How many understand what I'm talking about? You following me? All right. Now, let's get into the text here. Where? Matthew 16. How many see that? Okay. Yeah, he does talk about Jonah. He does say bar Jonah, son of Jonah. He says that. Okay, it's possible 
that Jesus is making a connection between Peter and Jonah. So, what can the connections be? What similarities? I mean, they're, they're hundreds of years, if not a thousand years apart, right? It's hundreds, I think. Regardless, it's about probably seven to eight hundred years. Regardless, what are the similarities? Number one, both were not perfect in how they served God. Let me ask you, was Jonah perfect in how he served God? Yes or no? No. Did, Jonah, did God use Jonah to see possibly millions of people repent? did. But he is totally imperfect. We find that in chapter 1, right? In chapter 3, what happens in 4? Jonah disobeyed God and ran in the opposite direction. The Bible says, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship in which he was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down in into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah 1.3. What did Peter do? Well, Peter fought with Christ. We just read it. Josh just read it. I just read more of it. He fought with Christ. He said, Jesus said, love us on me. Oh, I love you. You know, it's easy to say that. It's really easy to say, I love you. Let's say this all together. I love you, all right? I love you. Is that hard? Nobody's coming at me with a hatchet. Nobody's giving me dirty faces. You're actually smiling at each other and to me. Thank you. Reality is, it's easy to just say that. It's hard to live that. You say you love me, prove it. Every one of us has heard that during our dating life, during our married life, right? (laughs) Prove it. You don't understand me. That's the problem. We don't understand each other, so we can't love each other like we should be loving each other. Men, I will tell you this. Your job is to love your wife. That doesn't mean in the bedroom only. Amen. Amen. You love your wife. How do you love your wife? There's not a one man in here who loves his wife the way God loves the church. And guess what the standard is? According to the Bible, Ephesians 5, we're to love our wives as what? Christ loved the church and all of us have failed miserably. We need to love our wives better. Amen. We need to love our wives better. Praise the Lord. I can be a friend of yours. Men, I'm telling you, none of us love our wives like we should. We can always do it better. Always. Ladies, is that true? Okay, I'm getting into areas where people are getting angry. Oh, well, it's what the text says. And if you think you love your wife the way you should now, you've got to, you're, you're going to have problems. You, you really are. Because no one does. And as you grow closer to each other, you can learn how to love them better. <clears throat> Peter fought with Christ with saying, yeah, I love you, well, feed my sheep. He said, you say it, 
do something. That's what he was saying, right? Do something, feed my sheep. Who's the sheep he's talking about? Well, in a little bit, we're going to read another text where Jesus says, or Christ, he said, hey, you need to go here. And he's like, I'm not going there. And he fought with them three times and said, no, I'm not going. So he can say he loves Jesus all he wants, but he wasn't going to do what Jesus said, which proves he didn't love Jesus. Correct? So Peter fought with Christ with the love me thing. He fought with Christ with saying, hey, you just said you're going to get killed. No, you're not. You're a liar. You're not going to get killed. But here's the issue. Was, Jesus, was Peter looking for Jesus to be the Messiah and the King? Yes or no? Absolutely. Is dying on the cross going to kind of thwart that kingship thing? What do you think? Of course it is. Let me ask you, tell you another one. Jonah, as far as we know from Scripture, the only prophecy he gave other than this one the prophecy that he gave before was, Israel, you will expand your country as large as it ever was. Some people even believe larger. And guess what happened? Because why? Did the Jews expect a kingdom that was eternal? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. And they had these Assyrian marauders constantly attacking them not letting them expand as God prophesied to. And here's Jonah. Now go, Jonah, says, Jonah says, yeah, you're going to expand to the biggest it's ever been and the most glorious time we've ever had. But there was sin in the camp. And God said, Jonah, I want you now to go to your enemies and tell them the good news. To repent. How many see both Peter and Jonah have understandings that he's my king, and I want to be sitting on his side, Peter. Israel's going to be the greatest nation in the world. God's going to rule it, and he wants me to go to the enemy? How many understand this? Both of them. How many would say, in fairness, it's difficult? Yes or no? Last week we were talking about this in a, in a short thing. I, I will tell you this. An example today is a perfect example. Let's say there was a Bible-believing church in Israel right now. And someone in that church felt that God called them to go to Hamas and tell them to repent. How would that go? It's the same thing. This, the, these are not easy things. Jonah said, no, 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 I'm going this way. Peter said, no, 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 you're wrong. Yes, I love you, but I really don't. You can find that in John 21, which is what Josh read. And then not only that, but what about how wicked Peter was when in, in Luke 22? Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest, and Peter was following at a distance. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. 
Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looking closely at him, said, this man was with Jesus. Oh, woman, I don't know him. This man was with him. Oh, you are so wrong. His voice is getting higher. He's getting louder. Then finally someone said, and he blanked, he blank, blank, blank. I don't know this man. I have nothing to do with this man. And then he was convicted. Let me ask you, did both Peter and Jonah fail in their ministry for the Lord? Jonah gives us once where he failed, miserably, maybe twice. Peter gives us a ton of information. Peter and Jonah failed in many ways to love and serve God just as we fail in many ways to love and serve God by loving and serving others. Both were called by God to minister to Gentiles, by the way. Jonah was told to what? Jonah chapter 1. Jonah was told to go to the Gentiles. And who were they called? Those Gentiles specifically. Nineveh, right? Go to Nineveh. Jonah 1. And Jonah 3, we just read. Peter. Do you know Peter was called to, you know, Again, we've got to be very careful with hyper-dispensationalism. People believe that Peter and Paul had different, uh, different Gospels. And that Peter's job was for the Jews, and Paul's Gospel was for the Gentiles. Well, that's a problem, because guess what God told Peter to do? In Acts 10, Peter was told to go to Cornelius. He wasn't just a Gentile, he was a Roman Gentile. The Roman oppressing Gentiles. The ones that killed my God Gentiles, or Christ Gentiles. Do you understand what I'm saying? What did Peter do? Oh, I'm not going to be like Jonah, of course I'm going to go. Is that what he did? No. I think I'm going to get there later. Yes. Okay. We will read Acts 10 real soon, okay? Because there's another dynamic there. So Peter was called to go to Cornelius and give him the gospel and baptize him. Both had no desire. Both fought God about going to the Gentiles. Both viewed religious activity and law greater than the obedience to God. Jonah said in in chapter 2, I prayed, I templed, and I'm not like the Gentile heathens in their worship. He was a legalistic, religious bigot. He was. He was legalistic, religious act focused on his person. Yet, in his prayer, he neglected to repent and confess of his disobedience. He wasn't humble at all. Nor was, by the way, Peter wasn't either. He was bold, but he wasn't humble. And that boldness got him in major trouble because of his lack of humility. How many understand that? Over and over, you see it again. I can walk on this water. No, I can't. 
I'm not going to Cornelius. Why? Well, because the sheet is full of unclean animals. And I'm not. I'm a Jew. I ain't going to eat no unclean animal. And they're unclean. How many are following this? The dynamic similarities are unbelievable. Bible says in Jonah chapter 2, he says, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Oh, good for you. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who regard idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. He was a religious, religious guy. But how about Peter? Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. I told you we'd get there. Now's the time. Now, uh, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion, who was called the Italian cohort. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave money and alms and a Jewish, to, to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in the vision of an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now, dispatch some men to where? Oh, where was Jonah when he was told to go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel? Who was it? Where was he? He was in Joppa. Where was Jonah go when he was unknowingly sent to preach the gospel to the Gentiles? He left Joppa. Very interesting. So go to the men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who had spoke who was speaking to him, had left. He summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were in personal attendance. And after he had explained everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparation, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling and creatures of the earth and the birds of the air. And a voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill, eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, he came to him a second time. What God hath cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, did Peter, was he told to do something? Yes or no? Did he disobey God? Yes, he did. How many times did he disobey God? Three times. I think that three is interesting also. <clears throat> Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon House, appeared at the gate. 
And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying here. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Why did he have to say that if he wasn't keen on listening to them? That's another, again, we could do that some other time. They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by in the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear the message for you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered, and we can talk about that. We don't need to. Let me ask you, was Jonah, did he like have an aha moment with a light? Ah, what I'm calling unclean is clean. What I just argued with about no, 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 three times, I need to say yes. Amen? Now, Jonah didn't have three whales or sea creatures or he just spent three days in discipline of God. And he came out saying what? Yes, I will go. Totally changed his, okay, I wasn't going to go. I will go. He obeyed God. All right. Jonah, God used, uh, Peter argued with God concerning the unclean laws in Acts chapter 10. By the way, both were saved from water. Do you recognize that? Was Jonah saved from the water? Yes or no? Yeah. Was Peter saved from the water? Yes, he was. Remember, he's about to drown. He didn't take swimming lessons. And there was no, Jesus was the only, he lost faith and he was sinking and drowning. And God saved him out from the sea. God used the sea creature to save Jonah in Jonah 1. God saved Peter from the windy sea in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Both wanted God to leave them alone in the body of the water in, Romans, or in Luke chapter 5, verse 8. And we're running out of time here. But in Luke 5, 8, just, just go away from me, God. I am so convicted. Go away. Let me ask you, did, jo did Jonah say, God, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm getting out of here as far away from you as I can get. That's exactly what he said. I'm leaving the presence of God. They both ran away. They both wanted to be away from the Lord when he, caught, when he called him to do something. And by the way, both of those were in bodies of water also. One was a fishing thing. Both were the first to cross Jewish-Gentile boundaries. That's pretty powerful. These are two Jewish men going to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. Amen? Amen. Acts chapter 10. John, uh, uh, in Acts chapter 10, Jonah or Peter left Joppa to go to, to Cornelius. And then in Jonah chapter 1, 
Jonah, unbeknownst to him, leaves Joppa to go to Nineveh. Opportunities that God had laid at their feet and they balked at them. I'm too scared. I don't want to. I don't understand. You promised this and now you're telling me this. Many reasons can be out there. But in the end, Peter in John 21 and Jonah in chapter 3, both of these men receive second chances to submit to their calling after coming out of a body of water. Both of them did. Both of them then said, here am I, send me, I'll go. I, I'm, I'm go. I'm, I'm ready to go. Did God use Peter in a mighty, mighty way, yes or no? But he's such a dork. He has his size 12 in his size mouth, in his mouth hole. All the time. He's not humble, he's arrogant. By the way, that gets taken from him. Jonah, same thing. I don't want to go, and to, to be honest with you, why was Peter in Joppa anyway? What happened between Acts 2 and 3 to Acts 10? I will say persecution in the city of Jerusalem. And now you want me to go to a soldier? I like the Tanner's house. Yeah, I, I'm like the comfortability here. I'm by the seashore, sitting in my lazy boy, sipping a Dr. Pepper apple hooch. <laughs> Sit, sipping a Pepsi or whatever, and here I am, just good. I am so thankful that Christians don't flock after that leisure life. I'm so thankful that none of us, you know, we've grown and matured so much, none of us make mistakes like Jonah and Peter. Sarcasm aside, I praise the Lord that despite my Peterness and Jonahness, with sin and disappointment and wrong moves, wrong language, wrong whatever, that God can still use me. Proof is in the text. Peter was used mightily by God despite his sin. He was given multiple chances. Amen? Jonah will be used, as we will see in the upcoming weeks, mightily by God when he saw possibly millions come to know the Lord. Despite his disobedience, gave him a second chance. And by the way, I truly believe eventually Jonah repented and came to the Lord. Otherwise, he wouldn't read a little bit. He would not have written a book so damning of himself. 
And here we are learning from the lessons He taught us. Amen? So Peter and Jonah, let me ask you, are there a lot of similarities? Bare minimum. There are a lot of similarities. The biggest similarities, I think, is the one brought out in chapter 1, verse 1, of, or chapter 3, verse 1 of Jonah. God came to Jonah a second time. I'm telling you, God's going to come to you and come to you and come to you and come to you and come to you. So you better not, just, just stop sinning because he's going to be after you to be used by him in a mighty way. Don't fret. Don't discourage. Don't throw your life away and say, oh, I made so many mistakes. Look at the mess I've made. Who cares? Everybody's a mess. One of us, two of us are. <laughs> We're all a mess. That too will change because He holds us fast. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will always be there. And by the way, just to give you a last illustration and we'll be done. Some of you have shops in your homes or some of you might have like, uh, how many have a kitchen? Okay, I just hit everybody. I don't even have to go into the shop. So in that kitchen, do you use a wooden serving spoon to eat your delicate meal? Yes or no? Is it important for a certain role and a certain job? I will tell you this, when the dishes are all dirty or in the dishwasher and all that's left is a wooden spoon, I actually try to flip it with a wooden spoon, an egg, and that's terrible. It gets broken. I need that spatula to flip the burgers and to flip the egg. I need tongs to grab a hold of that big honking thick piece of bacon to flip it, right? Every tool is important and useful, and God uses them all. You are one of, or many of those. God wants to use you. The problem is, too many times we allow our unforgiveness of self, and truly it's a lack of faith in God's forgiveness, to go on with life. Because God still wants to use you in the gifts that He gives. Otherwise, He wouldn't have given you the gift. Man, I shouldn't have gave it to Him. He's not using it. No, use the gift that God has given you. Amen. Whether you're a wooden spoon, a metal spatula, a cast iron pan, or aluminum lid, you're all important to the Lord. Amen. And you're all useful for His service. The only way... I was able to make my first pie two months ago. I didn't know there's that many tools in the kitchen. Hokey smokes, man. 
Do you know what? God knows how to use each one of them to their perfection. I ask and I beg of you, don't let your past affect your future negatively. Learn, man up, woman up, get on our knees, repent, ask God for forgiveness. He forgives, and now He wants to take you and use you in His service. Don't let that stop. You're still useful. I hear it many times, and it's unfortunate. I'm too old to serve. I just feel like I'm in the way. Listen, if you have gray hair and you're in this room, you are extremely important to this church. Man, so important to this church. All of us are. Every last one of us. We talked this morning about ministering to certain ladies. Man, you can do that like nobody else can. Matter of fact, each of you can minister to each of these ladies, and there's many of them. There's five of them at least. You can minister to these ladies like I can't, like Rodney can't. Even maybe some of one of the ladies can't. I don't know, but the point is he's gifted you to serve. Well, you don't understand my background. I don't care. God's put it under the blood. It's gone. Serve him by serving others. By loving them. How many love to hug somebody? I love hugging people. I got to be careful, but I love hugging people. Do you know why I hug them? I'm so thankful for you. And if I could, I'd hug every one of you. Because you are so important to me. You serve me and you don't even know it. Now, if you're calling me short, and an invalid, we got a problem. The reality is, you don't serve me that way. We need to serve one another. God wants us to. And maybe it's the millionth chance. Who cares? Serve. Amen? All right, how many see a similarities between Jonah and Peter? And the similarity is clear on this. He constantly was given second chances over and over and over again. So are we. Don't give up. Love. Serve. Correct. Encourage. Serve Christ. Mr. Zarin, can you close us in a word of prayer, please? Amen. In my studies this week, I came across something funny. I shouldn't say funny. It's kind of sad. How many want to hear about Peter and one of the things that I left out purposely? <laughs> so, so Peter and Jonah are tied together in a lot of ways. And within the Catholic circles, it's more ways than you know. 
There's a lot of things. But one of them that was preached at a message was, don't you know that Peter was crucified in Rome and his bones were buried and then the first Catholic church was built on his bones? Okay, that's not true necessarily. We have no idea. That's all tradition. But then they get the idea of what we just read, right? And on you will I build my church. And there's the cathedral and the pope and all. Yeah, you can see where it goes. It's all based on tradition, not text. Anyways, I thought that was interesting. You might like to hear. We have a potluck. Mr. Uh, who wants to, are you gonna, who's going to pray and stuff? Well, let's get set up, and then if one of you guys would take the role, you or Mr. Pierce, I don't care, that'd be great.